0: If you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to look at 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 16. 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 16, a a sermon that I've entitled The Five Infinitives. If you are able, I ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word. "...imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now there is a gain, there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil." It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But, as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made The good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for your word and for the truth of it. Bless now the preaching of thy word. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to be responsive to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The book of Acts tells us that the apostle Paul went on three missionary journeys. On that first journey, he took a guy named Barnabas and another guy named John Mark, and they went to the region of Galatia. And it was during that trip, in the middle of that trip, John Mark had other plans, and he decided to leave Paul and Barnabas and went a different way. But Paul and Barnabas continued the work there, and then they came back from that first trip. After that, the book of Acts teaches us that the Jerusalem council took place in Acts chapter 15. And then after that council, Paul and Barnabas began to talk and they decided to take that second missionary journey. And as they were deciding where to to go and what to do, they had the idea of taking John Mark with them. Well, Barnabas liked that idea, but Paul didn't like that idea. And the Bible teaches them that there was a dispute over John Mark to the point that Paul and Barnabas decided to go different ways. So Barnabas took John Mark and they went their way. And Paul and another man named Silas decided to go together on that second missionary journey. And it was on that second missionary journey, one of the first places they attended, they went to, was uh, the town of Lystra. And there in Lystra, the Bible teaches us that they met a young man named Timothy. And Timothy had been raised by his mother, Eunice, his, his grandmother, Lois. And Paul would come to find out that Timothy had known the Scriptures from infancy. Uh, and by the way, wouldn't that be a great testimony to say, hey, I've, my whole life I've, I've been impacted by the Word of God. So on that trip there in Lystra, Paul and Silas decided, uh, Timothy, why don't you join us? Come with us on our missionary journeys. So Timothy got on board, and he went on the second and third missionary journeys with the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine the stories Timothy, young Timothy might tell of his experiences with Paul and Silas on those missionary journeys. Well, after Paul finished that third missionary journey, uh, which part of that was in uh, the city of Ephesus, the Bible tells us that he left Timothy in Ephesus. You see, Paul had a concern that false teachers would come into the church, so he, he took the man that had was his sidekick in ministry, the one he had trained. He left him there in Ephesus to help root out the false teaching that Paul thought was going to come. And as Paul writes this letter, this letter of 1 Timothy, to his understudy, Timothy, in this last section, Paul leaves Timothy with five exhortations, or what I will call five infinitives, five verbs that should describe what the man of God should look like. And to you today, my dear brother Daryl, I want to leave the same five verbs with you. And not only would it apply to you, but it would apply to anyone who wanted to live a godly life in Jesus Christ. But Paul is, in a sense, writing this to a fellow minister. So with that in mind... We're going to look at those five infinitives today in Paul's exhortation to Timothy in this sixth chapter of the book of 1 Timothy. So five points today, five infinitives, and they're simply this. Flee, pursue, fight, take, and keep. Flee, pursue, fight, take, And keep. As we walk through the text today, let's look at these five verbs. Let's take the first two together flee and pursue. Look at verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness and gentleness. Begin with a story. This story happened to me when I was 18 years old. Can you think back to when you were 18 years old? Sometimes I like to think about that because I was probably in the best shape of my life. I had just finished playing varsity football. I was all into weightlifting and in great shape. And, you know, those were the glory days, right? Those are way long gone now. But I remember being 18 years old, and I think it was a Tuesday night, because the garbage man would always come on Wednesday. And it was my job at the house to take the garbage to the end of the road. And back then, we didn't have those standardized garbage cans with the wheels that you pushed down that, that were real big. We, everybody had their own independent, y'all remember these days, everyone had their own independent garbage cans that you bought at Walmart maybe and and you took to the end of the road. And I lived way up on a hill, and I had to walk down that hill with the garbage cans. And it was late at night. I remember that. And uh, I would always challenge myself, Adam, see if you can take all three garbage cans down at the same time. <laughs> okay? You know, like, you know, this was an independent guy challenge. Come on, guys. I know you, do, you did some of the same, same things growing up. It didn't matter how much garbage was packed in those cans, I was going to lift all three up and make one trip because two trips was not an option. So I remember it was late at night. I got all the garbage packed into the the trash cans and I leaned down and picked it up. Of course, there's no one there to watch me but me, so I don't even know why I'm doing this like this. And I'm walking down the hill. It's It's a long walk. I'm walking down the hill carrying all these garbage cans, thinking to myself, oh, how big and tough and strong I am uh, to carry all these cans at once. And I get to the bottom of the hill. And again, it reminds you, it's night. And I keep saying that because things are different in the dark. Because I get to the bottom of the hill and it's so dark outside. I'm far away from my house. There's no light. I'm far away from my house. I set the trash cans down. And as soon as I set the trash cans down, I hear the biggest loudest, most vicious dog bark I've ever heard in my life. And that dog sounded like it was right behind me. And I will tell you, I got scared to death. So this, this big, strong guy who thought he was a tough guy turned into a little scaredy cat like that. And I tell you what, I got so scared at that moment I started running as fast as I could back up that hill. What did I do? I had to flee. I was scared to death, and I started running up that hill. You know, we just had the NFL draft. You see all these guys drafted. You see they're 40 times posted this guy ran a four, six or a four, five. I'll guarantee you that night I ran a 4-2. <laughs> it's the fastest I've ever run a race. Up a hill. But what did I decide to do? I decided to flee from the danger and pursue safety. I couldn't even see the danger. I looked around to see a dog, and it's so dark, I couldn't see anything. All I heard was this big, vicious bark, and I got out of there. And I ran as fast as I could up that hill, and I pursued the safety of my house. Now, Why do I tell you that story? Because in that one story, you see these two verbs illustrated. First of all, you saw me flee. You saw me run away from something. But secondly, you saw me pursue. You saw me pursue the safety of my house. And Daryl, today, the Apostle Paul uses these same verbs, flee and pursue for the minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing Paul says to young Timothy, he says, Timothy, flee. Flee. Flee these things. Now, we have to look back into the text to see what these things are. And when we look back at verse 3, that's why we started with verse 3, we find out that Paul is telling Timothy to flee false doctrine. That the minister's job, or one of the minister's functions, is to flee false doctrine. That doctrine in the church is so important. And God calls his elders, his pastors, to flee and run from false doctrine within the church. To be able to point it out and to get away from it. You'll hear me say this all the time. I know many of you have heard me say this already. Doctrine drives practice our theology drives practice in other words what we know about god our vertical relationship determines the way we live our lives our horizontal relationship that is taught throughout the entire bible and it is so important that we have pure doctrine in the church paul says this so many times in the bible it is so important that doctrine is guarded and protected that whenever false doctrine is there you need to flee get away from it, protect the church by fleeing from false doctrine. But the other thing he says is in verse 10. Not only do we flee false doctrine, but we flee the love of money. Paul holds this out as something that is going to be a temptation even for ministers of the gospel. Unfortunately, I can give personal accounts of how I've seen this happen so many times in ministry, where the love of money becomes a root of evil, even within a pastor's life. And God is calling the minister, flee the love of money as a root of evil, that we should run from those things. We should flee from those things. Yes, certainly the book of Corinthians teaches us that a minister absolutely deserves his wages. There's no issue with that at all, but to use it as a means of gain that is not unjust or unright in the sight of God is something God wants to keep away from his minister. So he says to us as ministers, flee the love of money. But just as we should run away from certain things or flee certain things, we should be running towards something else, pursuing Things of godliness. Continue verse 11. Yes, you have fleed these things, but now pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. And my brother Daryl, having known you this year and a half about uh, since I was first interviewed here at Redeemer, brother, I want you to know you are such a great example of all of these things. So I therefore encourage you, brother, as a minister of of Christ, to keep on keeping on. Keep on pursuing these things. Let this be your list, your your top six list of things you would pursue in your life. The first one, Paul says, is righteousness. You know that this is holiness in, in living. Being set apart, sanctified unto God. Ephesians spends so much time talking to Christians about the walk, the walk. What Paul means by that is your day-in, your day-out conduct. That in your walk, he says to the Philippians this time, no matter what happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Pursue righteousness, right living with God, right living with others. Secondly, he says godliness Doing things that are God-honoring. In every decision that you make, ask this question, would God be honored with this decision, with this thought? Thirdly, faith. Pursue it. Faith is that confident trust in God. James talks about a double-minded man in his first chapter. He compares a double-minded man to a wave of the sea. A wave that goes maybe to the left or to the right, forward and back. It's, it's not stable, that you never know which way it's going to go. Such as a double-minded man. But the faith of a godly man is that which is steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, says Paul to the Corinthians, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Fourth, Paul says, pursue love. Jesus tells us the greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see right there the vertical and horizontal relationship. The vertical of loving God first and then letting that flow out of your life to love your neighbor as yourself. Steadfastness, perseverance. When I think about Daryl, we always think of him as a runner. And he tells me these stories about getting up at 4.30 in the morning and and running. He's been running so long. And you've developed this amazing perseverance and steadfastness in your life. And not only have you done that physically, but also spiritually. Brother, keep on keeping on with that. Because the steadfastness is an endurance under trial. Set before yourself now to continue in that Because the Bible says something to us about God. It says He will never tempt us, but He will test us. God allowed tests to come into the life of Abraham. He allowed tests to come into the life of Moses. He indeed will allow tests to come into His people's lives. Be steadfast in those times. And then lastly, gentleness. Pursue it. Kindness and meekness of heart after the heart of our dear Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Meekness is oftentimes misunderstood as weakness. That couldn't be further from the truth. Meekness is simply that, that strength to deal with difficult situations, even difficult people from time to time pursue gentleness and meekness amongst the people of God. So as you flee False doctrine, as you flee a love of money, pursue these six things. The third verb Paul uses with Timothy is found in verse 12. Fight. Look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. What do you think about when you hear the word fight? What connotation comes to your mind? What story comes to your mind? Immediately for me, you know what comes to mind? Junior high school. There was a lot of fights in my junior high school. Right behind my junior high school was the football field, and right behind the football field was a little bakery called Kearns bakery, Kern's Bakery. K-E-R-N V S. Anyone ever heard of Kern's? Yeah, a few people. There was a little bakery called Kern's Bakery. And um, it was the first spot that was off of school property. So if you were leaving the school, the first land you would come to is is Kearns. So the saying in my junior high school when there was going to be a fight was, I'll meet you at Kearns. I'll see you at Kearns. And I'll tell you, it seemed like every week, all of us in junior high, that bell would ring at at 2.30, and we would sprint. Up the hill, there's a lot of hills in Tennessee. We would sprint up the hill to Kearns to watch the fight. Not a very good idea. There was, was a lot of bad stuff going on in, in that time in my junior high school. So when you hear the word fight, we usually have bad connotations. You know, maybe two angry parties going at it. People are upset about something. But did you see how God described the fight in this verse? He doesn't say that fighting is a bad thing. What does he say? Fight the good fight. Wait, there's a good fight going on. Fight the good fight of faith, God says. We need to remember something about God. God actually describes himself as a fighter in fact he goes beyond that in the book of exodus god describes himself as a man of war the lord of hosts is a fighting title the god of armies as he described himself in the book of exodus God says that he himself is a man of war. He fought for the people of God against Egypt, casting the chariots into the Red Sea. The Lord himself is a man of war, and Christianity is a fight of faith. And it is a good fight of faith. And God is calling his elders, his pastors, the people of God, to fight this good fight of faith. What do we fight against? The Bible clearly tells us. Our enemies called the world, the flesh, the devil. The world is this present evil age. Everywhere we look, we see the brokenness and the depravity of sin. The flesh is our own sin nature, yet we are called saints. We fight, as Paul says in the book of Galatians, this fight against the flesh, it's a war. We fight against the devil, who is prowling like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It is a fight. And Christ, as our captain in the fight, tells his people, as you fight, put on the armor of God. Daryl bear the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The shield of that faith that doesn't waver like the wave. The belt of the truth of God's word that girds your loins. Having your feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace, ready to go wherever God might call you, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take this armor that God has given to you, and, beloved, keep fighting the good. Fight of faith. And in everything, says Ephesians 6, have all of that covered in prayer. Verb number four. It's found in verse 12. Take. The second part of that verse says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take. Take hold of eternal life. In a sense, that means to get a grip on the reality of what eternity actually means. So many times we get caught up in this temporal world. We only see things within the temporary nature of their existence in front of our eyes. Yet Paul challenges Timothy, think outside of that. Get a grip, take hold of what it means for something to be eternal. That this life indeed is short. And that we don't have very long here. So because of that, we are called to not waste any time but to live with urgency, to take hold of eternal life. You see, this is opposed to all those false teachers we talked about a moment ago. These false teachers, they had their minds set on earthly things. It was the love of money. It was the things that were just here and now. But Paul challenges Timothy, think outside of that. Think as the Psalms teach us to think. The Psalms teach us to number our days and make the most use of our time. And again, Brother Daryl, I look at your life. You do such a wonderful job of that. Not wasting even a moment. Brother, be encouraged by that, yet also set your heart to keep on taking hold. Of eternal life. You know, the Bible gives us some very good examples of people that just completely wasted their time. Judas wasted his time. Judas stood beside the Lord Jesus for three years only to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. He did not take hold of eternity, he only saw the here and the now. Those in Noah's day wasted their time. You see, Noah and his family had entered the ark, and it was too late for anyone on the outside. They had all that time, but now it was gone. The New Testament says the five foolish virgins wasted their time. Their oil ran out before the bridegroom came, and they were shut out of the wedding feast. So Paul gives Timothy this infinitive, take. Take hold of it. Get a grip. Don't waste your time. And that leads us to our fifth and final verb. Keep. Look at verses 13 and 14. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things... And of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep. Keep the commandment unstained. The word picture behind this verb keep is guard to guard specifically the truth, to protect, to protect the truth. You know, right now at this very moment at the White House, there's guards. There's guards who are on duty. And what's their function? Their function is to let some people through the gates, but not many. You see, the majority of their job consists of keeping a lot of things out. That's what a guard does. Let certain things in, but keeps a lot of things out. And as a pastor of the gospel, our calling is to keep, guard, protect the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Solomon writes in Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Let certain things in your heart keep a lot of things out of your heart. Let certain things come out of your mouth, even to the church. Keep a lot of things out. Guard, protect, keep, protect. That's what the pastor is called to do. And in doing this, we have to be courageous. Just as God told Joshua in that first chapter of Joshua, chapter 1, be bold, be strong, be courageous, for God is with us wherever we go. Paul had to do this as he wrote the book of Galatians. We know that to be true. Paul starts out this book admonishing the Galatians. He loved them. He loved them dearly, but he was going to stand firm on what was right and what was wrong concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he even had to ask them at one point, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Sometimes as pastors, we have to do that. We have to ask that question because it's our function to guard, to protect the truth of the gospel. And my encouragement, even as we close, Brother Daryl, is that living out these five infinitives, you bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read verses 15 and 16 one more time, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion forever and ever. Amen. Living out these five verbs, these five infinitives, it brings honor and glory to our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us flee. Let us flee false doctrine and the love of money. Let us pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Let us fight the good fight of faith. Let us take hold of eternal life, remembering life is short, that we're to live with urgency. And let us protect and guard the truth, pointing people to our Lord, our Savior. Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins, that we can be saved by His goodness and by His grace. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He alone is immortal, eternal. He dwells in unapproachable light. To Him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Pray with me.